Welcome to Religion for Life. It's a program of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schock, and I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton, Tennessee. Uh, the website for my congregation is fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and HD1 on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. And we are in the midst of a series called The Future of Faith, and we've had a number of scholars from a variety of perspectives, from evangelical to uh, progressive to atheist, all talking about the future of religion. Where is religion going in this country? And we've spoken with Diana Butler-Bass, David Kinneman. Also uh, coming up, we have Brian McLaren. We'll be talking with Daniel Dennett, uh, Marcus Borg, uh, and many, many more talking about where religion is going, how it's changing, how it's shifting. And today we are going north across the border, and we're going to speak with a professor of philosophy who is also a community leader who is taking Christianity in a whole new way. It may not even be Christianity anymore, but it has a lot of connections to traditional religion. It's Christianity without the supernaturalism, uh, but is focused on Jesus. And it's all right here on Religion for Life. My guest is David Galston, connecting with me via Skype from his uh, home in uh, Hamilton, Ontario. He is a Ph.D. at McGill University. He's a fellow of the Jesus Seminar. He's co-founder and academic director of the Snow Star Institute of Religion in Windsor, Ontario. He is the adjunct professor of philosophy and ecumenical chaplain at Brock University. Uh, And he's also the leader of the Quest Learning Center for Religious Literacy in Hamilton, Ontario. The Quest Center for Religious Literacy is an historical Jesus community that examines life, religion, science, and philosophy in an open and learning environment. Quest is humanist-friendly, intellectually responsible, and spiritually centered. And Dr. Galston has written a new book uh, called Embracing the Human Jesus, A Wisdom Path, for Contemporary Christianity, published by Polbridge Press uh, in 2012. And he is my guest with me on Religion for Life. Welcome, Dr. Galston. Thank you very much, John. Good to be here. Well, I'm glad you are here. Tell us about this fascinating community, the Quest Center for Religious Literacy. Is it is it a church? Well, the, yes and no. Um, it certainly started out with the idea that it was going to be a church, It was a new church development project of the United Church of Canada here in Hamilton. And the intention was that it would uh, be a new community in a newly developing area. But it was going to be different. And it always had that sort of underlying theme that it needed to address, the community needed to address a new situation in culture and society, a questioning culture, a shift in awareness of um, issues, of history, uh, multicultural environments, things like this. So it always had a different spirit. And the leaders of the community, when they came time to choosing uh, someone to be the minister, uh, ended up choosing me. I was just leaving the University of Windsor at the time and moving to Hamilton. And I said in the interview process, I wanted to see if I could take the historical Jesus to church. And they really liked this. So it started out uh, trying to be a new church based on the historical Jesus. But eventually it became a learning center. It became 
uh, not a church, but a nonprofit corporation within the United Church of Canada. And that move gave it the freedom to do what it wanted to do. So it didn't have to be uh, doctrinally, if you like, uh, centered in the United Church of Canada, but could wander and explore freely uh, in different directions. And you uh, have written your book, Embracing the Human Jesus, A Wisdom Path for Contemporary Christianity, which the fascinating aspect to me is that you're linking the academic work, uh, for example, of the Jesus Seminar and and your own thinking on this topic with practical communities. Uh, And what have you found? What have you found out when the historical Jesus goes to church? Well, one of the things I found at the beginning, which might not be too surprising, is that not everybody likes the historical Jesus. And it's a bit ironic, I guess, in Christianity that the more you get to know about the historical Jesus, sometimes you find out that you really don't want to follow the historical Jesus. Uh, So there was a bit of anger at the very beginning, perhaps in a strange way, a progressive community wanted to do new things, but a lot of people found out that the historical Jesus wasn't for them. Hmm. Um, So what does that say about Christianity, right? Right. In a certain way. (laughs) Um, when we take Jesus seriously, we find out we, maybe we're not so interested in him after all. Uh, the second thing, though, is once we got through that, it became a very creative process. And I found that uh, there is a group of people who are on the edge of Christianity who really want to know honestly what's going on academically, what can they really believe in, and what can they base their faith journey, if you like, or their spirituality um, their humanity, what can they base that on in a credible way? And so that's very important to making this transition, being open and honest about the scholarship. And I don't pretend to know, you know, the scholarship better than anyone else. In fact, I'm not really a biblical scholar. I'm, a, I'm trained as a philosopher. Um, but I do try very hard to say what I honestly believe is is credible, is responsible. And then after that, you sort of let the chips fall where they may. You let people discuss it and talk about it and give feedback. There was a person in this community, for instance, who really feel felt that I didn't give enough attention to the apocalyptic model of the historical Jesus. I, I tend to do the wisdom form or wisdom model, and who debated with me openly in the community and then presented three talks on the apocalyptic Jesus. And that's entirely permissible in the community, because it is knowledge that's built on some academic credibility. So it's uh, certainly a debatable question and an important question. So tell us a little, yeah, yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about, about that before, before you go on. Uh, I know the viewpoint of the Jesus Seminar is that uh, Jesus was more of a wisdom sage than an apocalyptic prophet, but, but others, so example, uh, Bart Ehrman, uh, believes that he was uh, more of an apocalyptic prophet. Can you give us just a minute or two to explain the, the difference there? Sure. The apocalyptic Jesus, the idea is that the main model to understand the historical Jesus, to understand him as an end-time prophet. He's somebody who believed that the divine cleanup, as Dominic Crossan puts it, was at hand. God was going to intervene in history, set things right. And that normally meant in uh, ancient Judaism that uh, Israel would be reestablished, that Jerusalem would be reestablished as the center. In fact, the great uh, uh, passages from Isaiah, for instance, the second chapter, where 
uh, swords are beaten into plowshares. It all happens by everybody recognizing Jerusalem as a center and and the, the religion of the Jews as the right one and everybody going to, to Israel. And the world kind of gets set right again. It gets set back to how it was supposed to be, how the creation intended it to be, how God wants it to be. So it's kind of a cleanup of all that's gone wrong. And this is going to be happening. And in the Albert Schweitzer, the great theologian just at the end of the uh, 19th century and then through the 20th century, felt that Jesus was either someone who announced this end time or who felt that his, his crucifixion, his willingness to, to um, bear the cross was in fact a willful act to try to kickstart this cleaning up. So that's called apocalypticism. The wisdom path is based on the saints' traditions related to Jesus, essentially the parables and aphorisms. And it's very hard to judge academically how parables that really contradict apocalypticism, getting even with the enemies, cleaning up the world, can coincide with parables like the Good Samaritan, where the enemy happens to be the good person, the hero, the person of loving kindness, the person who does the Torah, who does the Torah better than the people who are supposed to do the Torah. You know, it's a very much a reversed way of looking at, uh, at the practice of the Torah and the fact that indeed your enemy can be more faithful than you. It turns around the situation. It, it's very much anti-apocalyptic. It's not about the divine cleanup. It's about living, seeing who lives uh, loving kindness, who lives compassion. Where do we find those? It's a very open attitude. Where do we find those people? Uh, and they're out, you know, they don't have to be just us. They can be the other, too. So a wisdom teacher is uh, enigmatic and makes us think about our life and our practice of life. And that's very common also in the ancient world. So the debate in the historical Jesus is often which model best suits Jesus. And I think... Nobody says that the wisdom model is absolutely no good. Everybody says wisdom and apocalypticism. But a lot of people are saying, actually, apocalypticism doesn't belong in the picture. Really, wisdom is the authentic voice of Jesus, and apocalypticism is the creation of the church after Jesus as we approach the time in the year 70 of the destruction of the Jewish temple. So I focused on wisdom because nobody rejects wisdom, but I also think it is the voice of the historical Jesus. My guest, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is David Galston. He's the author of Embracing the Human Jesus, A Wisdom Path for Contemporary Christianity. Uh, he's also the leader of the Quest Learning Center for Religious Literacy in Hamilton, Ontario. And he's done the most interesting thing of bringing the historical Jesus to church. And uh, thinking of the apocalyptic and the wisdom uh, traditions, uh, the wisdom tradition certainly seems more palatable uh, in, in our setting, uh, apocalyptic seems to think that there's a beginning and then there's an end and God's going to intervene and all of that. But the wisdom tradition is something we can use in modern times. Well, there's a really good answer to that question that people don't notice. In fact, apocalypticism is far more popular than wisdom. Um, the American culture, if I could point out, is a very much an apocalyptic culture. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves apocalypticism. The world has a purpose, it's going to an end, there's a chosen nation, there's a fulfillment of time. It's by far the most popular, most beloved tradition of Christianity. We always use it. It's, the Bible's full of it, 
The history of Western civilization is full of it. We love it. But wisdom is a very much is very much a minority tradition. So people think, well, if you're embracing wisdom, you're embracing a Jesus that uh, you know is just contemporary and easy to follow. Okay, try following the wisdom Jesus. Who does? The people who often who hear about it turn away from it. They don't like it. It's not the popular tradition at all. It's the minority tradition. Wisdom means you have to change your life. You have to develop a lifestyle. You have to become a person of loving kindness and compassion. You have to be a person who can overcome enmity. You have to be a person who doesn't have a heroic version of the world and of history and of America or some other nation. You know, so it's a very different tradition and it's absolutely not popular. It's not popular at all, and it's never been popular in the history of Christianity. So I don't get the idea that wisdom somehow makes Jesus palatable. It does the opposite, to my point of view. Oh, that's very good, uh, because uh, I, he makes you uh, be responsible for your own spiritual growth. Absolutely he does. Um, but, you know, even then, I want to affirm he's human. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the other very important thing. He's not trying to do anything to you, right? He's presenting wisdom, and he, too, is a person who has to hear wisdom and be challenged by it. So he's not like he has this incredible mission in his mind. Again, that goes us back to a kind of an apocalyptic version of Jesus. He has a divine purpose or something. No, he's challenging his time and the people and the condition he's in, but he's using wisdom. And the reason why we can relate to it so easily is because The wisdom tradition in human history tends to do that. It tends to be uh, teaching that comes out of a context, but is teaching based on very human circumstances, very human conditions. And we can all relate to that. That's why you can see it easily. You can be challenged to overcome your enemy. We have enemies 2,000 years ago. We have enemies today. The future generations of human beings are going to have other forms of enmity. Uh, So the lesson is not going to go away. It's just going to change in its context and in its meaning and in the challenge that it delivers to us. So Jesus, too, is challenged by his own teaching. Tell me a little bit more about your community, um, the center, the, the Quest Learning Center for Religious Literacy. You know, when when a, a church or, or a community, or let's go ahead and, and say the possibility of a church being based on the historical Jesus, that is a very different kind of community. The whole focus is different, isn't it? It's based on on uh, the principles of, of humanism rather than supernaturalism. I mean, it isn't just substituting the historical Jesus for the old Christ of faith. It's a whole new way of orienting, orienting yourself and your community towards life. Yes, it is in, in the sense that you just mentioned, that uh, to sort of, if I can say, accept the historical Jesus really means affirming that like anyone in human history, Jesus too was as human as you, as human as I am. Um, No difference. Same challenges um, had to work with in, you know, in his cultural and political setting, just like we do, and had to imagine and dream on the same set of presuppositions that we do, basically, that life's not forever, that that we're living in uh, the certain challenges of our time, etc., so affirming the historical Jesus and trying to build a community of historic is certainly a humanist act in the sense that it's affirming Jesus is as human as anybody else. Um, and for 
some people that's hard because we want a sort of a divine stamp of approval on the community. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's not terribly different either. Uh, there's a certain freedom in that we can open up the agenda. We can learn from other religious traditions and other, you know, wisdom traditions. Um, we can uh, be far less dogmatic and we're much more capable of entertaining uh, diversity. But on the other hand, it's still built within the basic heritage of Christianity. Wisdom has always been a minority tradition in Christianity. And there's always been these personalities who have practiced Christianity in this way. Francis of Assisi would be a good example. Um, so we can still use what I call the chassis of the church, the basic formation of its structure, because it's just, in the end, it's just community. It's about people getting together, learning, celebrating life, and partying. It's about building communities, building relationships, trying to live life with integrity and honesty. So the, the church, in some ways, provides that opportunity out of its history, but it's just a shifting of its history to a kind of a humanistic expression, because Jesus was a human being, and because we're all human. And that's the reality of life, and that's the way you can move forward with your life in an honest, uh, on an honest path. My guest is David Galston. He's talking with me via Skype uh, from Hamilton, Ontario. He's the author of Embracing the Human Jesus, a Wisdom Path for Contemporary Christianity. And this is just not an academic exercise, uh, but the historical Jesus is coming to church. You use this phrase in, in a footnote, um, uh, and I want to talk about this with you because I found it great. Uh, you wrote, uh, I think we live in an era of post-atheism. Uh, we have to accept the conclusion of atheism and move forward with new forms of human spirituality that are not inconsistent with our best knowledge about the origins of life and nature of the universe. That is, that is a quote that I found in the footnote, and I hadn't really heard that phrase before, but it really resonated with me, post-atheist. Tell me more about that. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know if I coined that term or not. I, I probably didn't. At one point I thought I did, but then I realized other people use it too. So it, it's just sort of something that was in the air, I guess. And, but what it means is, in, for me anyway, it meant that I went from theism. I was trained to be a minister in the church, and I was trained in the neo-Orthodox tradition, which is in that book at the beginning. I think it's in the introduction. Mm -hmm. and, but eventually I, I stopped believing in this kind of God and I stopped being a theist. At one point, I had to admit that I was an atheist, that I didn't believe in God, and that uh, I couldn't reconcile modern science, modern understandings of the universe with what I was being asked to believe and to preach. So at that point, it was a bit of a crisis. But fortunately, at that point, I wasn't a minister in a church. I was at uh, I own a college at the University of Windsor, and I was more involved in teaching and administration. So when I left that community and arrived at the Quest community, and that began, I had to come clean. And I began to realize that even though I moved into atheism, I wasn't satisfied there, because the problem is atheism tends to get very 
much like fundamentalism. It has a certain premise that's unquestionable. And it looks at God with the same literalism, as if God was somebody or a thing. And you can't prove that this thing exists, so therefore you are an atheist. And I, I came to what I would now call is post-atheism. You move through that and you begin to value religion again. It's a human creation for sure. It emerges from our histories, our cultures, our languages. But it's not something to just dismiss. It has a, a value, much like human history has a value. It has a value in the world, and it has a value to humanity. It's a way for us to contemplate our life, to adopt lifestyles, to develop communities, to grow in wisdom and understanding, to become uh, people who are capable of forgiving, keep people who can practice compassion, people who can live in peace. So you can't just say we don't need that. In fact, you know, you could argue we need that more than ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and religion has this beauty to it. So I use post-atheism in the sense that I'm still in religion and I still love it and I like thinking about it and practicing it, but I don't have the same kind of belief, uh, the innocent belief of before, and I've moved through atheism and I certainly accept that there isn't a thing called God, etc., uh, but I move beyond that point to where I can now relate to religion again and feel I can be in it and and, and have a practice in some way. Embracing the Human Jesus, A Wisdom Path for Contemporary Christianity is the latest book by David Galston. He is my guest on Religion for Life. And I was... Um, Thinking about the the community I serve and perhaps other ones, uh, um, we're probably one of the more progressive congregations in my denomination, and I, I can't speak for my congregation, but uh, people might—friends can call me a heretic. But I, uh, but yet, still, we do Christmas, we have Easter. It's all kind of a mixed bag. Do you, do you see this time as kind of a transition of, of moving from some of the earlier ports of Christianity to we also have humanistic overlays and the historical Jesus. I, I kind of wonder if it's a mixed bag. Do you find that in, in, uh, in studies of your community and others? I do see this time as somewhat transitional because it's not always easy to know what to do. I think I mentioned in the book that, you know, uh, Christianity in its apocalyptic form has had a good, well, just about 2,000 years of practice and development, certainly 1,700 years. And this new form of Christianity, which has many different expressions around North America and in Europe, is very much experimental. And it's hard to know sometimes what relationship to have to traditional Christianity. So about half of my congregation here have the history of Christianity they grew up in it. They like the, some of the celebration times, certainly around Christmas. And another half come in from the outside, and they don't feel the same relationship to, to Christianity at all. The whole thing is very new to them. Uh, it's almost like a, a class at a university sometimes when I do a religion class there. At least half to sometimes three-quarters of the class have no history in relation to religion at all and, and don't really know what it's about. So we struggle to find these forms. Um, we've kind of turned Christmas into, we've done two things with it. We've sort of turned it into a birthday party because the Buddhists 
do celebrate the birth of the Buddha, even though it's not really possible to know when the Buddha was born. And in Christianity, we've done the same thing. We don't really know when Jesus was born, but we can celebrate his birth as a, the one who sort of generated this path we are on, or certainly the key figure. And then the second thing we do is we also allow ourselves to introduce elements from antiquity that are related to this time of year. Uh, for instance, Saturnalia, the Roman festival around uh, the winter solstice. And recognize that in human history, this has always been a significant time of celebrating and uh, sort of dealing with the contradictions in life. You know, the day shortens and then it starts to get longer again. So we all have a sort of a, a shortness in our life. We have limited lifespans. We have tragedy, we have things that are interrupted, but we also have this other side of the coin, which is the birth of life and the, and the hope of life. So we do experiment with this, and I imagine that would be true for anyone who wants to take this path in any community. You have to deal with the history of Christianity. You want to be realistic and honest. You want to be uh, credible, but at the same time, you don't want to ignore the history and just throw it out and pretend it never happened. And also, you still identify with, with the tradition in a certain way. And we just have about a minute left. I'd, I'd love to talk with you a lot longer, uh, and I hope that folks will pick up David Galston's book, Embracing the Human Jesus, A Wisdom Path for Contemporary Christianity, talking about uh, the future of faith. Uh, one, uh, just, we just have about a minute left, David. Uh, what's the takeaway from your book? What do you hope people will see? Well, I would hope that there are uh, people and communities out there that want to try to to do something like this. I'm not suggesting that we have the best way or the right way, but certainly it's a credible form of moving forward with uh, Christianity, I think. There's always the question, is it still Christianity? Uh, but moving forward in a credible way, in a responsible way, and in a way that affirms uh, our human uh, future and our, and the quality of human life. David Galston, my guest on Religion for Life, thank you so much for your work and for taking time to be with me today. Okay, thank you very much, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life, and we are in the midst of an exciting series called The Future of Faith or the Future of Religion. And my name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find out more information about my congregation by going to our website, www.fpcelizabethton.org, fpcelizabethton.org. More information about this program and upcoming programs, uh, as well as uh, blog articles and sermons and all kinds of wonderful things can be found at my website, www.religionforlife.com. That's religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1 on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Be well.